1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. If you point these things out, brothers and sisters, you will be good ministers of Christ Jesus, nourished on the truths of the faith and of the good teaching that you have followed. Have nothing to do with godless myths or old wives' tales. Rather, train yourselves to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. And now if you would please turn to Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, Whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. This is the word of the Lord. So this morning we are concluding uh, a series that kind of began at the beginning of the year. So we're bringing this all together this morning. And um, we spent the first half of the year talking about kingdom life. Like what is this kingdom that Jesus invites us into? What does it look like to live out his kingdom values? And then this summer we've been looking at kingdom practices. What are these core, whatever word you want to use, practices, rhythms, habits, disciplines that we can engage in in order that will set us up well to live kingdom life. And so today I want to bring that together. And you have obviously a piece of paper that I'm going to talk you through at the end of the day. You don't need to look at it right now. Don't even think about it. Don't even think about it. Um, But today I want to bring this together by talking about your rule of life. What is your rule of life? And if that's a phrase that you haven't heard before, it doesn't matter. The phrase doesn't matter. But what I mean by a rule of life, it's a phrase that's been around a long time, but is essentially I'm asking, how is your life set up? What are the practices and rhythms and habits that are built into your life? How is your life organized? And how is that setting you up to live the kingdom of life that Jesus invites us into? So the analogy I've used in the past is actually an analogy we have right behind us, which is the analogy of a trellis and a vine, okay? And you've heard that analogy over the years if you've been around grace. So I want you to look at this. We have some uh, beautiful passion fruit vine growing up right now. 
It produces, it's producing right now some good fruit. You may not be able to see it. Uh, we have one of these in our backyard, and it's lovely. I love the fruit, the passion fruit. But there's a life growing behind me. There's a vine, and the point is the vine and the fruit it produces. But, of course, you also have a structure in place called a trellis, right? Ours is pretty large and simple and fairly uncreative, but it serves the purpose. Uh, it provides structure for the vine to grow. The point is the vine, okay? Uh, you grow a vine because you want a vine. But vines need trellises. The trellis is not the point. The trellis exists to support the vine, but the trellis is important. And so if I can use that analogy, the vine, let's say today, it's your life. It's who you are, and it's who you're becoming. It's the kind of fruit that you are producing. And, and everybody, maybe consciously or unconsciously, makes a decision about, who do I want to be? What kind of person do I want to be? Who do I want to be becoming in this world? Some people, the answer is, I want to be a successful person. I want to be a wealthy person. I want to be a popular person. I want to be a smart person. You name it. I want to be a, a comfortable person, right? We all have these goals in life. What I've been encouraging us all years, be a kingdom person. What God is inviting us into is live life in the kingdom, which is modeled by Jesus Christ. But we all have some sort of vision of who we're trying to become. And the question is, is your trellis, is how your life is structured and organized, is that actually supporting who you want to be? Is that setting you up to become the kind of person you want to be? Or... Is it setting you up to become something different? The trellis is, it's a, it's a rule of life. And so my question for you today is that, is your rule of life forming you into a kingdom person? Is it forming you into the kind of person you want to be? And notice I'm not asking you, do you have a rule of life? Because we all have a rule of life, whether we would ever use that phrase or not. The only question is, is do you have a good one? <laughs> but we all have one. Let me give you some examples just to make this real practical. Uh, most of you probably have some kind of morning routine okay, that you either have been very intentional about or you've fallen into. For instance, it might be wake up at 6.30. What do I do next? I turn on my phone. I check the scores first, right? Uh, I check my emails. I go into the kitchen. I brew a cup of coffee, have some coffee. I make breakfast. And at 8.30, I head over to work for the day, right? It's a, it's a rule of life. Or you have an evening routine. Come home around 5.30. Uh, we make dinner. Uh, we have dinner watching the evening news. Um, if we have kids, we put the kids down at 8.30. We usually end up in our rooms. And we usually watch a couple shows on Netflix. Fall asleep around 10.15. Okay? It's a, it's a rule of life. Or we might have weekly rules of life. Friday night is family night. Uh, Saturdays is grocery shopping day. Sundays, early morning bike ride. Come to church. In the fall, head home, watch a couple hours of football, catching up on work emails, dinner, right? These are all rules of life. These are, whether intentional or not, they're fairly predictable ways that we live our lives. And so the question I want to ask you is, what is the goal of your life? And is your rule of life shaping you to be the person that you want to be, or more importantly, that God is inviting you to be? So all summer, we've been looking at these core practices, right? Looking at like scripture, meditation, prayer, uh, engaging in church community, Sabbath, worship, conversation. We started this conversation by looking at Jesus 
uh, rule of life. I don't know if you remember that, but the beginning of the summer, we looked at Jesus' rhythms, and we don't have a clear picture of exactly what that looked like, but it's quite clear that he regularly would begin his days and withdraw to be with his father. From his knowledge of scripture, it's really obvious that he spent a lot of time meditating on the scripture. He engaged in Sabbath. He clearly engaged in community. He had a rule of life that seemed to ground him in his father's love and acceptance. He was utterly centered and grounded in his relationship with the father. And that freed him to be a remarkable person, right? A a man of love and courage, a person who was totally free from the expectations of others, a person of grace, right? Forgiveness. He had some sort of way he went about his life that set him up to be, obviously, the Messiah that God had called him to be. And so what I want to do for the rest of our time, I just... I want us, it's a perfect transition. We're moving towards the fall, right? We're coming out of summer, moving towards the fall. That's a good time to step back and consider our lives. Some of us, the fall means different rhythms. Some of us, it doesn't. But the transition is a good time to step back and go, do I have the rhythms and practices and disciplines in place that are going to set me up to thrive in the kingdom of God? So that's what I want to, I'm going to move us towards that at the end of the conversation. I'll actually talk through this. But before that, I want us to just, these two passages that Amy read, I want these to inform us uh, and how we think about this, okay? So I'm going to actually put that first one, you can stay in first, uh, or in Philippians if you're there. Uh, Let's start with this one in first Timothy. Let's see, there it is. Okay. This is Paul speaking to Timothy. He says this, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and life to come. So in this passage, the goal is to be godly, or your translation may have said godliness. This is the goal. Become godly. Pursue godliness. And I don't know if that word godly is an attractive word to you or an overly religious word. I'm not sure, but let's just assume that means become like God. Or maybe another way to say it is become like God's son, Jesus. And let me suggest, whether you like the word or not, that is what you most long for and what you were created for, to become more and more like the person of Jesus Christ, loving, joyful, at peace, patient, kind, courageous, forgiving, right? It's who in our heart of hearts we, we long to be and who God created us to be. And that ought to be the goal. That should be the vine. Become a godly person who produces godly fruit. So what is the means to that goal? Well, the word Paul uses here is train. You train yourself for that goal. And it was interesting. I was, I was looking at that word. It was originally written in Greek. And I was looking at the original Greek. And I'm like, wait, that word means naked. I, I'm very confused. And then I had to look it up. And the word then became to be to be uh, to exercise in the nude, which is if you know in the first century in Greek culture that's what they did. Like the, the original Olympic Games, they would exercise and compete in the nude, uh, unfettered, right? <laughs> if we use that phrase, and so Paul is drawing on this athletic metaphor, an Olympic really ultimately metaphor of of physical training. And I thought, well, that's great. We've just you know, walked through the Olympics this summer, and my family is, a, are, we're huge Olympic fans. So we've just watched these athletes compete at the highest levels, right, of sports, and we know how they're able to do that. They trained, they committed themselves to a set of disciplines, habits, 
practices by which they might compete at the highest levels. And that's Paul's analogy, physical training. And it's such an easy analogy for us to to understand. I mean, in the last 20 years, and maybe this has always been the case, but as I've, in the last 20 years of my life, it feels like there's just been this explosion in the health and fitness industry. And I've seen so many stories, really some beautiful stories, I would say, of people who lived a lot of their lives physically without any intentionality, okay? Ate what they wanted, drank what they wanted, didn't really exercise, all this, and then something triggered change in them. And sometimes that's like a, they find out they have a heart condition or, or, or there's some program or something that caught their attention enough and there's a million of them out there, right? It could have been a diet, it could have been Whole30, it could have been keto, it could have been 75 hard, it could have been a Jillian Michaels videos, you know, it could have been uh, Orange Theory, CrossFit, you name it. Something finally grabbed their attention and they established a rule of life, which is always going to be some combination of <laughs> nutrition and exercise and flexibility and sleep, right? And they started to train. And here's the beautiful thing that I've heard from so many of them is that structure brought incredible freedom to them, actually. Like in right before it, they'd be like, oh, man, the idea of waking up at 6 and going for a run, that, there, there's nothing in my imagination that can, I, can, I can picture doing that. But once they're in it, they're like, I feel freer than I ever, I feel better than I've ever felt. I look better than I've, I've looked. I can think better. I sleep better. This training has actually bought, brought great freedom to me. And Paul is using that analogy, and he's saying, apply that to the spiritual realm, right? After all, physical training has some value in this life, but godliness has so much more value. Train who you are. That has value not only in this life, but that goes on forever, that's way more valuable. So train, which I assume he means commit yourself to a lifestyle by which you are likely, with God's help, to become a godly person. And that's what a rule of life does. It's a commitment to a training regiment. Now, here's the problem, I think, with so much Christianity or so many Christians. Here's what we do. We don't train. We just try in the Christian life. And what I mean is we don't actually commit to a set of a, a really intentional life. We don't train. But then in the moments of crisis, we, we try. <laughs> we try our best. So I haven't been really engaged with God in prayer. I haven't been engaged in his word. I haven't been engaged in Christian community. And then something goes south in my life. Uh, and I'll try my best when that happens, right? Or I haven't really engaged in these postures relationally, but now I'm in a, a moment of conflict, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try my best. We try, we don't train, which would be like if someone came to you and said, hey, this won't happen, I promise, but like, hey, in four years, you're, you're going to be in the next Olympics, okay? So here's my advice to you. Just live your life for the next four years, and when you get there, try your best. Like, try your best, you know? Right, That's, that would be not... No, he'd be like, okay, you've got four years. Now, this isn't going to work. Four years isn't going to help most of you anyways. Certainly not going to help me. But what would you do? Let's say we're all, you know, 14 um, and not ourselves, you know. <laughs> I think I could have been, never mind, I'll stop. I'm not going to finish. I love that question. Like, if you had to be in one event, what do you think you, your best shot would have been? It's a good question for afterwards. But no, he'd say, hey, you've got four years. 
Commit to a rule of life. Train. Commit to a set of practices by which you are likely to be able to compete at a high level. Here's a quote I gave you uh, at the beginning of the series. I love this. The general human failing is to want what is right and important, but at the same time not to commit to the kind of life that will produce the action we know to be right. We intend what is right, but we avoid the life that would make it a reality. And so Paul's saying, don't try, train. Commit yourself to a life by which you will over time become more and more like Jesus. And I think he would also say, it sounds hard, and it is hard, but guess what in the end? It's actually freeing as it is in the physical realm. Like, commit yourself to the word of God. Your mind will be filled with truth and encouragement way more than it is if you don't. Commit to regular prayer. You will find your heart more likely to begin to surrender things to God, to to trust him with your daily life. Commit to a Sabbath. Turns out you'll be less anxious if you take a, a day off once a week and really take a day off once a week. It's hard. There's a training, but there's freedom. Are you with me? Okay, um, I, I want to just address one potential pitfall in this conversation. We talk about spiritual training, and it's we need to just acknowledge that spiritual training is not a self-improvement project, okay, which physical training often is. It is not a self-actualization project that I engage in in my own power because ultimately in the spiritual life, it is God's grace that changes us. And we've talked about that too. Let me show you one uh, really helpful passage, famous passage. This is actually right after the passage Daniel read to us. Uh, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God who works in you to both will and to act in order to fulfill his good purposes. So Paul says, work out. There's work, there's discipline, there's effort. You've been saved, now work out what that means. There's intention. You gotta do all that, and yet, guess what? By the way, God is the one who works in you. He's the one who both even gives you the desire to do what's right, and then gives you the ability to do what's right. So you're invited into this training, and yet ultimately it's God who is at work in you, enabling you to do this. So this is not a self-improvement project. This is a dynamic partnership with God where we rely on his grace. And so the other image I gave you in this series, which is very different than the image of training, uh, is this image. I gave you the image of a waterfall. And the picture was this water is, is a picture of God's grace that is so regularly being poured out on our lives. And it is. The question is, how do we regularly go to the waterfall of God's grace? Because we can choose to actively try to do that or not, or not. And what these practices we've been talking about, they're, all they are is they're just containers. They're like bowls, different bowls. Scripture is a bowl by which we go and receive God's grace. Prayer, community, Sabbath, all sorts of things, right? These are these different containers that we bring to, the, to God's grace. So what we need to know is the, the spiritual practices and disciplines, they don't actually change people. They don't in themselves change people. God's grace is what changes people. In fact, the disciplines just alone can actually change people into really uh, people that aren't that fun to be around, actually, into prideful people, um, self-righteous people. And so we have to remember the gospel is a gospel of grace, and it is God's grace that transforms us 
So the question is, not only how do we train, but how do we just regularly go to the throne of grace and receive from him? And that's what really these disciplines are, is just coming and waiting for God to do in us what we can't do in ourselves. So I, I want to just show you one example in Scripture of Paul doing this, and then I wanna, I'll, I'll talk us through this piece of paper. So um, go to your, that, that Philippians 4 passage that we looked at, that Amy read. Uh, uh, this is Philippians 4.4. 4. Um, Philippians 4 is like the holy grail of mental health, by the way. Uh, and I'm serious. Like, if you need, like, this is the holy grail of mental health, biblical mental health right here. But what I want you to notice is this beautiful, dynamic relationship between the grace of God and the intentionality that we bring by which we lay hold of God's grace, okay? So, First Timothy, the goal was articulated as godliness, okay? In this passage, let me suggest the goal is being articulated in terms of experiencing the peace of God, the shalom, having this life that is lived in this, this sense of well-being that comes from dependence on God. So it shows up in two places. Look at verse 7. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That's a picture of God's peace like a garrison of soldiers coming to surround the city of our hearts and minds to protect them from thoughts, accusations, you name it, false and anything. So it's an experience of peace. You see it again at the end of verse 9. This time it's articulated this way. And the God of peace will be with you. God is a very peaceful person. He's never anxious. And he will be with you. So the goal here is being articulated this way. Do you want a peaceful life? Do you want the God of, you want to experience God's peace active in your life? Everyone say, yes, absolutely, right? We want that. And that's something that he brings, clearly. This is his action. But what's so interesting is, having said that, Paul doesn't say, just sit around and wait for that to happen. No, he calls us into a rule of life, a set of postures of the mind, habits of the heart, by which we experience that peace. Let me just walk you through them. Verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Have a regular practice of rejoicing in God. We do that on Sundays. You can do that on your own, right? Number two, verse five, let your gentleness be evident. Practice a life of gentleness, not arrogance, um, not, you know, being really harsh. Be gentle. Next one, verse six, don't be anxious, or I like the translation, stop being anxious, uh, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Have a life of regular prayer for the things that come up in your mind whenever an anxious thought comes. Turn that into a prayer. And give thanks, because <laughs> gratitude is a great antidote to anxiety, right? Finally, brothers and sisters, it's not finally, he's got another bunch of things to say. Uh, verse 8, whatever's true and noble and right and pure and lovely and admirable, anything excellent, praiseworthy, think about these things. Have rhythms where you're thinking about things that are good and avoid thinking about things that are not and then finally, verse 9, whatever of you learned from me, heard from me, received in me, put that in practice. So he had a set of, you know, a lifestyle that they would have known. We don't know all that, that what it looked like. But he's saying, do the things that I did. All that to say, that is a rule of, it's a set of, of practices, postures of heart and mind by which over time we experience the shalom, the peace of God that we all so long for. It's a rule of life, if I can say it that way, by which we cooperate with God's grace. 
All right? And that's what we're invited into. It's the grace of God. We've talked about that a lot that changes us. And yet we have our part to play in being very intentional, setting up a life that is, that is going to put us in the flow of God's grace or however you want to say that. All right, so here's, I want to step back now. And um, here's, the, here's the call for, for us. We're moving into the fall in the next couple of weeks or the school season has started for some of you parents. Here's my invitation. Take a couple hours in the next week or two. Step back and take a good, long, prayerful, honest look at your life. Um, if you're married, it'd certainly be a conversation to have with your spouse uh, or your roommates, not, or friends or whoever. And remember, you already have a rule of life. So this is not about starting a rule of life. The question is, do I have a good one? Is it intentional? Is it shaping me into the person I want to become? Are my days, the hours of my days shaping me? Are they likely to shape me into the person that God wants me to be? All right, so I want to just walk you through this. You may have already read this handout, but take a look at the handout that you're either sitting on or that is somewhere around you. And let me just, hopefully this isn't tedious, but let me just talk you through this. You know, this week has been a, a heavy week for us. And um, I was at a memorial service this, this week, this, uh, on Friday, uh, with the Bradleys, uh, Darren's uh, mother, that was so sweet, and got to hear the story of a woman I'd never met. And um, we have people that have been in the hospital. And so all of that, brings you to these fundamental questions of like, what am I doing? What's, what's, what, what do I want my life to be all about? And so I would encourage you, I just want to walk through this. You know, here'd be a good place to just start with the end in mind. And I don't know if this question feels cheesy or cliche or whatever, but if I could hear my own eulogy, what would I want to hear? Right? What kind of a person, what, what do I want to leave um, that is my life? And how is my rule of life moving me towards or away from becoming that kind of person? And then what I would encourage you to do is just start with what's already really working well and acknowledge those things, right? What's already in place? What practices do I currently have that foster my relationship with God in ways that are life-giving? And rather than trying to go against the grain, start with what's working and just go, how can I lean into that even more? Maybe that's a place where the Spirit's already moving in my life, and so I want to double down on what's already a really life-giving practice for me. And then sometimes I think we need to start with, before we start adding things, we need to ask what needs to be taken away. What are practices that uh, I may need to subtract? Uh, what are activities I voluntarily pursue? So I'm not talking about work, which you kind of have to do, right? But things I voluntarily pursue that fill up my time but do nothing to draw me closer to God. They don't draw me into his truth and peace. They don't shape me into the character of Jesus, okay? Let's, that's a tough question, but honestly go, I spend a lot of time doing X and it does nothing to draw me closer to God, his truth, uh, for me into the person who I am. Um, there's some obvious ones, you know, Joel mentioned, I've talked a lot about um, our phones, uh, all the entertainment, um, all the distractions. Uh, and I think even this last year, the news, I mean, I think there's, a, there's this sweet spot of staying informed and knowing what's happening and being thoughtful about that and not letting that take up all of our time. And I think, um, I'll just say, I think a lot of people haven't found that sweet spot. 
And I think that's important for our, for our spiritual health to find whatever that is. It's not going to be the same for everybody, but that's a big one, I think. Or there's things in your own life that you're like, I obsess so much about this, this, and this, or I spend so much time pursuing this, this, and this. And honestly, it's not doing any of these things right here. Right? Let's cut it back or cut it way down. I, I mean, this would be so much better if I didn't do that. Okay, other side. Then consider a, f- a couple practices to add. Um, we've talked about these core practices. These are just foundational to the life of the church over centuries. Scripture, prayer, church community, Sabbath, worship, gracious conversation. And maybe there's a couple of those, one or two of those that you feel particularly called to pursue in a, in a fresh way. Um, hopefully all of those would be regular parts of our, our lives, but maybe one or two of those the Spirit kind of moves you towards. Um, and then I have this phrase. I like this phrase. This isn't my phrase. Um, downstream, pra- downstream practices and upstream practices is pretty easy to, to figure out. Downstream practices are practices that kind of work well with the natural flow of your life. Okay, like I can see this will be an easy one for me to do. It fits with what's already in place. And my own thought, I think that it's wise, consider a lot of downstream practices because those are the ones that you're most likely to keep doing. (laughs) Um, And consider one or two upstream practices um, because those will be harder. And it's really hard to change your life in like five ways all at the same time. So these downstream practices... What are things that you just love doing that make your life better, that make your relationship with God better? And like, I should just do that more. For some of you, it's like being out in nature. Um, some of you, it's reading good spiritual devotionals. Um, some of you, it's, there's a particular friend in your life who, who just encourages you. It's like, I need to be with that person once a month. I need to schedule coffee with them once a month. They make my life better. Um, maybe there's a hobby. There's, there's something that actually connects you to God. Maybe you're an artist and engaging in that helps you. This is things that are unique to you and your relationship with God. And you're like, if someone would just give me full permission, this would just be fun to do more of this. And if it brings you closer to God, I'd say do it and, and commit to it. It's, God has designed you that way and your life with him will flourish. Those are downstream practices. And then, of course, there are the upstream practices. And this is one where you, you have to really, you know, prayerfully consider with God, like, God, where are you calling me to stretch and grow in this season of my life? And you can't change your life all at once in a bunch of different ways. So maybe there's one or two. Um, how can I tangibly move towards growth in a couple areas? And then I, I just thought I'd leave you with these other considerations. I'm encouraging you to get really specific. I'd encourage you to, to actually have a calendar that you can see your calendar laid out in a way that says, here's, here's generally where, I mean, you want flexibility, but here's where I see these things happening. So, but be specific. Um, relax more would be a really bad goal, okay? Relax more, you know. Maybe practice the Sabbath on Sundays would be a little bit more specific. Um, or I want to read the Bible more this fall, okay? A little general. How about I'm going to read the Bible on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, or on my on weekdays before I pick up the phone every morning, I'm going to pick up the Bible, and I'm going to spend 15 minutes. That is a profoundly countercultural move right there. That used to be like given. Now that is like, that's radical, right? Pick up the Bible before you pick up the phone. But be specific is my point. Um, and I would say generally start small and set goals that are realistic and sustainable. Sometimes that's not true. Some people need like a clean sweep. And if that's your personality, it's like, I got to go radical because if I don't go radical, it's not going to happen. That might be you. Um, Most of us, I would say, 
you want to do something that you, not that looks really good on paper, but that if I were to talk to you in a month, you are still doing, <laughs> right? So you want to set goals that are, that are sustainable. So, you know, for some of you, like, no more TV. That, that might, maybe that's the right thing. We're going to actually get to just, just, you know, take a bat to the TVs this afternoon. That's not a bad thing. Um, but maybe it's like, you know, we're going we're gonna to start small. We're going to have um, Mondays and Wednesdays, the TV's never on. Those are, those are our two non-TV nights. Um, or maybe it's like, I'm going to keep my cell phone, but I have a digital sunset, right? The phone goes off at 9 p.m. or 8 p.m. every night. It's a, it's a, it's a measurable, it's a small one. Um, I'll just say, you know, uh, some of this talks about your, how do you engage in your core relationships. Like so those of you who are married. So my wife and I have struggled to figure out what, what's our rhythm as a married couple with three young kids. And, you know, do we have a date night, all this stuff? And, and we landed just um, half a year ago as we looked at, like, how does our life actually work? What are the natural rhythms? And what we decided on is we now do, we do coffee time on Mondays and Saturday mornings, which are my days off. And it's not a big, it's like, it could be 15 minutes, 20 minutes. Um, it's not huge, but it's, it's actually is very significant for us to have that sort of scheduled unhurried time together to just check in with each other and we pray in those times. It's actually probably not all that it should be, but it's something that we can sustain right now. I have another friend uh, who's in one of my small groups and they do a date night. Again, young kids, date night can be hard and they do date night at home. So it's about once a month. They put the kids down. They don't have dinner with the kids. They put the kids down and then they do a cheese and wine date at home. And they do candles. I think, I think they do cheese. It's like charcuterie and wine together. And it's an at-home date night. Simple, but meaningful to them. So figure out what are those, what, what's realistic? How can I start small and grow this over time? Uh, another thing, I think it's really helpful. hope this isn't too tedious. Some of you would do this really well, but if you don't, hopefully it's helpful. Uh, I think the categories of daily rhythms and weekly rhythms and monthly rhythms are really helpful just to be thinking about. I might have a daily time in the word, something like that. But weekly, we might have, we might have family night you know, once a week, or we might have Sabbath once a week, church once a week, some small groups. Um, you know all of our small groups are starting up um, right now, and so this is, this is the time to be considering. Do you want to be in a, a home group or a men's group, women's group? But those are usually weekly. And then monthly can be a good uh, also thing. For me, I do a half day with Jesus once a month. I uh, usually have something Friday morning, I have Axios, and then from that through lunch is my half day with Jesus, and then I do some work in the afternoon. But there's, there's monthly rhythms. Uh, second to last one, I would encourage you to fight for your mornings. And I'm a morning person, so this is easy, so I, I want to say, you know, you know you, but there's something about the morning that sets you up for the rest of the day. And reading scripture at the end of the day is good, but reading scripture at the beginning of the day sets the tone for your whole day. So I would generally encourage fight for your mornings. And usually the discipline of an early morning I'm learning is actually the discipline of the night before, right? If I go to bed, for me, if I go to bed at 1030, that's not setting me up for the morning that I want. And so it's that extra half an hour in front of the TV or whatever. So the discipline of a good morning is also the discipline of the night before. And then finally, I would just say involve others in this process. I've been, this, this summer, my small group, we've been talking through this. And um, there's been about five of us guys that are doing that. And we've gotten together like 
three times just to talk about our rule of lives with one another. And um, it's been so helpful. But if you do not have accountability, you don't have encouragement and support, it's much less likely to happen. So involve someone else in this process.